Chilling with Kofi is presented by Homefield Apparel. Homefield is a collegiately licensed clothing brand that sells some of the comfiest and best looking articles of clothing that you will see. They have over a hundred schools already licensed. And if you don't see your favorite school slash alma mater, have no fear because they are constantly adding schools from t-shirts to hoodies to fleece joggers. You can check out all of their merch on www.homefieldapparel.com. Welcome one and welcome all to another episode of Chillin' with Kofi. I have a great guest for you today. It's Danny O'Dwyer, the founder of one of my favorite YouTube channels out. Oh no. no. Yeah. Don't say that. Yeah. We're, we're going to do that awkward <laughs> mutual love thing now where I like, I talk to you about how much I love Secret Base and SB Nation and uh, all your guys's uh work over there dude it's a pleasure absolute pleasure the minute you asked me i was like yeah let's do it this 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 will be fun i'm excited yeah. to talk because we've never met before so this is we this haven't is no yeah this is great because i just know of like of you virtually and i was like oh this is cool <laughs> and i'm like see the channel i'm like oh my god that was like just binge watching binge watching binge watching <laughs> um before we continue with this podcast i want to have the self-promotion here first so that cool. people that aren't familiar with you can look you up while we talk and figure out what you do and have kind of more of a visual uh, kind of base. So where can you Love be it. found on the internet? Yeah, so I run a company called Noclip. Uh, so if you go to our like official link is like youtube.com slash Noclip video. But if you knock Noclip into YouTube, um, you'll pretty much find us eventually. And what we effectively do is kind of like our inspiration or one of my main inspirations was like ESPN 30 for 30, um, but for video games. So it was oh. the idea that we could like, you know, make tell documentary stories about games, but that there wasn't a very strict format that like you could kind of tell it, you know, in as long a runtime you want or a short different types of games, retrospectives, some current ones, that type of thing. So if you go to our channel, it's basically a sort of menagerie of video game documentaries, some of which are in a series, some are like two hours long, some are like 20 minutes. Um, yeah, you can go pick your way through those. We By now, because we've been running for four years, we like to think we've like at least one game you like will be in there, we hope. Yeah, I think you guys have. You have enough of a database that like there will be at least one if you like video games. You'll Fingers crossed, one. yeah. yeah. So what first got you interested in video games in general? And then what got you interested in the gaming journalism space? I, I, for games, Ireland, so I grew up in Ireland, in case the you know name and accent aren't obvious enough, but um, <laughs> Ireland is like, a, like a, a petri dish for video games because we were coming out of basically like, you know, apart from the whole years of colonialism shit, like my generation was like sort of third generation, getting a bit more money in our pockets after a really nasty decade in the 80s and the 70s. And suddenly starting to like get more stuff from overseas and also it can be quite boring there we've really long winters it rains a lot and there's not really much to do it kind of you're in your own little community so games are like perfect dude because you could just like be like worlds to explore right it's why probably a lot of irish people you know were, were sort of associated with like you know music and books and that type of thing it's because like you just got to make shit you know there's not all that much to do so i think just everyone in Ireland plays games. I think we had the second highest per capita of PlayStations in the world, uh, second only to Japan. Um, oh, wow. So something about living on an island just makes you crazy for, for games. But <laughs> yeah, I, I grew up with uh, two older siblings. We had an Amiga 600. Commodore is a really big in Europe. And through that, I you know just fell in love with i think i'm um, like half my amiga games are behind me here that uh, you can see on my zoom call and i fell in love with games like monkey island and cannon fodder and soccer kid and sensible soccer and all that stuff and i think similarly for the game stuff like a lot of people because i'm 35 now right so this was pre twitch youtube um yeah but kind of post magazine like it, i was reading pc gamer but i didn't think i could be a writer but it wasn't until i saw the game spot streams on a thursday and again this is like I don't know, man, like 15 years before Twitch or something. This is like a long time, like at least 10. So where was this being streamed? San, their office in San Francisco. And this was like before, like before you could get the news on the internet, they were right. streaming a weekly show called On The Spot on a Thursday, which I think it was like 4 p.m. Pacific. So it was like midnight in Ireland, but I'd stay up on a Thursday night religiously to watch this, this stream. And I think... Uh, you know, it was like a sort of a, you know, talk show behind the desk and then they'd bring in reviewers and they'd bring in 
game devs and they, you know, I do, I don't watch anything about video games that was on a video on the internet and it, but it was actually like really well produced. And I think that was the sort of the seed that got planted. And then eventually when I saw, oh, look, they do video reviews as well as written reviews, you know, I can do video stuff. Maybe, maybe I'll try and do that. And, you know, over the next 10 years, basically slowly crept my way in until I got my break. I do remember um, when I was a kid, I would go to GameStop and there are certain times when you would get GameStop games that you would get Game Informer, the magazine right. that would come to your, your door. <laughs> it was Game Informer and then it was East Bay. East Bay uh, is a sporting goods company where if you like go to Foot Locker, you can buy athletic gear and then like East Bay would send you, I, I don't know, it would be like you gave them your address, East Bay would... Uh, send you all of the new athletic gear. So it was those two magazines that I really kind of grew up on. It was just like, yeah, this is cool. I'm learning stuff actually about my favorite video games. Right. It's awesome. They also so, upsold you. They upsold you pretty hard then. Both of them. They managed to get you on that mailing list. They're oh, like, sure. Yeah, sure did. I was, <laughs> what was it? I was like 12 or 13 and everything. Like back in the, back in the day, like mailing list sounded so cool. Like, oh, I'm, I'm on a mailing list. Oh, they're going to send me all this cool stuff that I can't really afford. Right. But it's looks cool you know it's like the first time you get an email address and suddenly you're like you want you want to give out your email address to people like right <laughs> well maybe not maybe not now again aging myself a little bit probably so you are at gamestop uh, sorry you're at GameSpot. sorry my bad i've worked at gamestop too and we yeah i did it both ways at both places so don't worry about it. it happens all the time. I was so worried about like the just the switching of because they're so similar. It's words. impossible not to. It's absolutely <laughs> impossible. Not, yeah, totally. So you're at GameSpot, and you make a decision to go and make no clip, which I told you before we got on here that that seems it was one. Of, it seems like one of the most creative leaps of faith. <laughs> in terms of just like going from stability in terms of job to. We are going to make this all new YouTube channel from scratch, 100% crowdfunded, all these documentaries. And what? where did the idea for this come from? Had you always had that idea in your mind or were you like slowly working towards that and then just like a spark happened? I think it was it was probably like two different things that were happening. Um, one is I've always been like I've always been like a bit of a freelancer. Like I was a web developer for a long time, and then when I was working in London for a while, I, I did freelance stuff. And then when I worked in video, I when I got my job at Gamespot, I'd actually worked out of freelance video production company, but as a web guy as well. So I knew how that all all that stuff worked. And I think I've always had like that, you know, I moved from Ireland to England to get in, to break into the games industry. I moved from England to the West Coast to sort of make that next leap. So I've always been a bit, um, uh, I don't know, I like itchy feet or, you know, entrepreneurial, I guess, but like more so creatively looking for the thing that like really gets me to wake up in the morning. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, working at media companies, it's either going your way or it's not. And you can feel when you've, the ceiling's coming. Like maybe you haven't hit it yet, but it's you can feel the pressure, the air pressure between you and the ceiling just yeah, about to start. Yeah, yeah. And and actually, I, the thing that I'm scared of the most, you know, uh, this this will come up in therapy again tomorrow. Is <laughs> is is getting stuck actually, like not yeah. having forward momentum. So it was actually scarier for me to put my future in the hands of other people than it was for me to make the leap. And I remember, you know, one of the other folks who sort of had left GameSpot in the past and done their own thing. I asked them about, you know, uh, my fears that I had. It was um, a guy called Jeff Gersman who made a website, Giant Bomb, which is a popular video game website. And I remember asking him about it and he was like, if it all crashes and burns, like you can always either come back or you someone that there'll be a door somewhere else. Like if you're, if you're in, if, if hopefully if you're good at something, there is opportunities elsewhere, you know, and it's not always the case, but I feel like in our industry yeah. at that time, there was always there. So I always felt like I'm not totally crazy to do this and there might be like a parachute. And um, also I, I had just come out of a like visa scenario where I wasn't allowed work for anyone else. So suddenly I was like, oh, I can work for anyone now. Like I, I have my green card. I can, you know, I can even start my own company. So. I think that was coming into my head too. And then why documentaries? I think having 
over the years at GameSpot, we started to do a little bit of these sort of long form features about games where we talk to developers and in less of a sort of a, a lot of the like interviewing devs was very news cycle-y, like you're asking them about something that was happening right now or a game that was company, a, a game that was coming out quite soon. So it was quite like, um, you know, it wasn't evergreen. It was like digestible and it sort of wasn't relevant again weeks later. Right. And I just kind of like in other spaces that wasn't happening, right? In sports, for instance, right? Like yeah. sports have done, or ESP obviously now 30 for 30 is sort of like a known quantity and there's more sports documentaries now than ever before. But there was a time where there wasn't that many sports docs out or you had a situation where you had a lot of people who were documentary filmmakers making sports docs, not people within the space for whatever right. reason. So it was the same thing. It was like there's this huge hole in the way we're talking about games. Uh, and gamers are getting older. And a lot of my games development heroes were retiring or some of them were passing away. And it was like, these stories are disappearing. So it, it figured like it has a sort of a weird element of games preservation or public service, the sort of the style of thing we do. Obviously, it's it's not. We're not like a nonprofit or anything. But I, I kind of felt like, look, if if I get this much money on Patreon to do it, then that's fine. That's how small it'll be. And if I get this little bit more money, then it can grow. And I thought like, as long as, long as it like could pay my rent and hopefully health insurance, then, <laughs> then it would be worth it. And maybe I can grow it then. Um, I certainly wasn't anticipating it being sort of as it immediately resonating with a lot of people, which I think was a big surprise. And then a lot of expectation to suddenly live up to yeah i love that youtube has started to shift more towards evergreen content and i love the fact that we at secret base actually um before our youtube channel was a lot of that stuff that did expire the next by the next day or by the next right. week you know and i love that the people that were in charge of Espionation slash Secret Base at the time were like, let's focus on evergreen content because YouTube will show you, they will recommend you a video five months later. And if that video recommended doesn't really matter, then who's going to click on it or watch it or even just be like, why is that here? Totally. So I, so I love the fact that we have shifted into telling the stories that whenever they get found, they get found. And it's just one of my favorite kind of things. And that's why it's like, even though the purpose thing about, I think about your documentaries is that you can find a game like eight years later and it's still totally. a good experience for you. Yeah. And that's the same with these documentaries, you know, and that's the same with some of my other favorite YouTube content creators like Nikki Jakey or Scott the Waz yeah. or all of them is that you can go find their videos years later and it's still a new experience, which I find so cool. Yeah, and it has this like when you find one of those one of those channels, and this was definitely me uh, with Secret Base before you guys changed the name as well. Uh, yeah. I think I came on just maybe a couple of years before that all happened. But the finding a channel and then being like, oh, like everything on here is good, like or, or <laughs> yeah. everything on yeah. here has been made with a certain level of care. You know, it might mightn't all resonate with me. I don't know some of the sports as much as the other ones but like oh I, like yeah i'll give this like I've, i i don't i have never i'm so bad at basketball and understanding basketball and understanding the pace which is weird because i'm like a, i grew up playing football and soccer right so like it's yeah i feel like there's actually a lot of like athletically wise at least there's a lot of similarities but but i'll watch i trust the channel so I, I'll watch something, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And it's and, it's, and it seems like with Fumble Dimension or, or so, stuff like Dorktown, it's like, it's similar in that like, it gives creators license to tell stories that they're interested in and not ones that, you know, necessarily the audience is like, you know, Google Trends isn't lighting up a video about, you know, the world's worst golf course or whatever the latest video you guys do, right? Yeah. But it also allows the, the viewer the opportunity to let their guard down, which doesn't happen a lot on YouTube where you're you're yeah. sort of being fed stuff that you you should like. So it's been a wonderful experience when you find one of those channels, especially like your guys channel where, oh yeah, sure, I'll watch like a video. Like, uh, you know, I'm, I like going to A's games. I like baseball. I know nothing about baseball, but I'll watch every video about baseball on the channel. I don't know any of these people. You know, I yeah. probably know more about the Seattle Mariners than I do about the A's at this stage. Yeah. Um, but it's it's that type of thing, you know. It's like being able to 
yeah, like it seems cooler to curate a channel like that where everything on it you hope at least has been given like the time of day and, and room to grow. And then when it's evergreen, it's it's so much cooler because you don't feel like you're watching something that's old, you know? Yeah. yeah. And I feel like the thing is, is that I feel like some people don't understand. And I'm, I know you might get this on your end, but how long it takes to make these videos. Oh, my God. That's what I think when I see your stuff. Because sometimes like, you'll see the time code and be like, oh, this is a 25 minute video. <laughs> but that video might take months. So what what goes into the making of every video that you guys what, what's your creative process? Uh, how does that kind of look like the timeline and what whatnot? I wonder if we have a similar thing where like the first there's a, I feel like there's a lot more randomness, especially with the video game stuff you, you do. Like there's a lot more randomness that could happen that you're out of control of. So yeah. the first thing we do when we think about a project is, OK, like what is the leanest way we can produce this where we don't end up you know, spending forever on this one thing that doesn't work. And yeah, it's I think a big part of it for me in terms of like trimming it down is my because the bread and butter of the work that we do. So for people who don't know, a lot of our videos are, you know, largely retrospectives on games, sometimes games that came out two months ago, sometimes games that came out 10 years ago. But we're talking to people. They're like talking head videos where we're asking people about the game. And then we're usually using B-roll from that game to demonstrate the thing that they're talking about or to illustrate it. So for us, the first thing was getting discipline over the interviews because at the start man the interviews that i was doing were like so stupidly long like way too much fat on them so when i got onto the edit suite and i started to try and pull selects from them yeah there was just too much there because also like usually i'm interested in the entire conversation it was all good so you, but right. you have to like chop it so i think getting better at finding what the story is before I, I, I kind of start it, making sure those interviews are a bit more leaner. Uh, we've done projects where we've interviewed like 20 something people, you know, like that's yeah. it's a lot of interviews to get through. Yeah. And now, and especially this happens, this helps a lot because we've we recently had a bit of a, uh, a surge in funding through Patreon too, which is really helpful. When it comes to B-roll now, like we have a, a B-roll person who just captures like 80% of our gameplay now. So I'll just send him log notes of like this is what i need like we, we were just yeah. doing a, a dock on dishonored and like you know there's this one level that like when you walk in it the whole level like deconstructs into a different looking level and i'm like sending him notes of like okay i need a shot a panning shot of the stairs changing <laughs> and like <laughs> and this and this because that's where the that's the nitty-gritty comes down to it so it's like it's it's really sort of as much as possible figuring out what the story is before you interview people, but also not being so stringent that like you're trying to force a narrative, like just kind of like make it, make the cone as like an hourglass, kind of make the cone as tight as you can without being too restrictive. But then also be, I don't know, spry enough that if it goes in a certain direction, the story, you, you can also go in that direction. And then, you know, editing, man, just like killing your yeah, children, yeah. like just, <laughs> just getting it done. Not, 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 not a, not being too worried about the stuff you, you cut and, you know, making something shorter that's more entertaining than the the director's cut that maybe is a bit more, you know, less engaging or whatever. Oh, yeah. When we do when we do a fumble dimension, when we do um, <sighs> the first five or six, we have so much footage that's left over. And I can imagine. And it kind of pains me to, like, cut good stuff out. And But at the end of the day, it's like, mm, we don't want this video to be two hours. <laughs> As much as some fans like tweet at us to release the entire thing, I'm like, right. oh, you, I trust me, this is not something that you would want because it's not something that even I would want. And I'm released the Kofi cut, right? Exactly, <laughs> but it's not what you want. Um. <laughs> and and to you, like, I think like as much as, as like annoying as it is sometimes for me to have to like, you know tweak this stuff or spend this much time or like a lot of interviews are like they're beautifully shot and all this a lot of the time you're working on video game footage which is like annoying to capture annoying to play because you're yeah. playing on an old pad and then you're doing like a lot of this like process stuff that you need there, there needs to be a lot of off-camera stuff happening for it to be worth it for the capture part and like at least like we don't have to do much of that we don't have to do like running you know running simulations or, or 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 like building golf courses or you know there's like all this <laughs> yeah, yeah. pre-production stuff that like our pretty production generally is just you know getting ready for interviews and that's it 
Yeah. I really do like what you guys do where you you humanize the developers. I, I don't really I don't really think that us as gamers, well, me as a gamer, I don't really think about that often. So whenever there's like a a bad game rollout, I'm like, oh my god, how could they possibly? But <laughs> right. then you don't. Then you're kind of peeling at the curtain, being like, look, game development's hard. You don't know what you're like figuring out. You're like, you don't know what these guys are going through. You don't know what they were up against. You don't know the situation. You don't know the factors. So that's why I love how you guys are just being like, hey, before. You, you may see what's happening in the game, but you really do not know what's going on over here. So what are some of your favorite stories that you've like discovered or unearthed during your documentary process? Uh, thanks for saying that, because that's like the main, one of the main reasons I started this stuff, because I had that feeling is when suddenly when I started interviewing developers, especially when I moved here to the US, because there's just more access to devs here, I feel like, than yeah. there was at least when I was in the UK. That's what I immediately felt. And you have that like you know, you're reviewing these games, but then you're like, wait a second. Like I didn't do that many reviews, but I remember at the end of my tenure being like, it is like, there are humans at the other end of this. Like you try not to be a corporate apologist as well, because you know, people have have, like a problem with a product they purchased and it's like from a big publisher. You're like, I don't want to be like that guy. (laughs) But, but also there is, you know, these things are complex and yeah, there's people at the other ends. And so allowing, with this work, it was cool because I really got to allow myself to lean into and like embrace those types of stories and those types of people. And I think that's what I'm genuinely most most interested in because um, I don't think I have the bones to make games myself, but I, I sort of idolize the people who do. So it's been like every story is is crazy in its own way, like the stuff that you learn along the way. And we recently finished a six part series on uh, Hades. The um, Oh, you know, I haven't gotten to that yet. Yeah, it's, it's so we did that one. It kind of peppered in between all the big docs um, from whenever that game was announced. I think it was the end of 2018. I can't remember. But we we did a six part series on that, and that was really cool because I, I got to experience the sort of moment to moment of a studio a bit more because they're based in San Francisco. So we were sort of embedding a bit. And then when the coronavirus stuff hit, it was. Cool crazy because we kept filming but obviously we were doing it mostly remotely and then eventually we did some stuff in people's back gardens and masks and all that um and how that was affecting them as they tried to like they were months away from launch basically and the back and forth and the some of them were having kids and there was all this stuff going on that was like that was really eye-opening it was almost like too much story to tell in that one but then i'm trying to think of like other we did one on um telltale games uh we did one on the that place got closed like sort of overnight it was having a bit of trouble kind of yeah. new management then eventually got shot and we did a a doc on we did a whole thing on we did a bunch of stuff on unionization which we ended up having to can because some of the people in it were like salting other companies so they didn't want the video to be shown because then they'd know that they were the people who were you know i think yeah. salting is the term they use when they're yeah when you're starting a union in a, in a place hmm. but we, w- the one video we did on workers rights was about was a telltale where we sort of showed the human cost of what it was like for those people. And it was like, yeah, like people lost their jobs in the Bay area overnight. And like some of these people were interviewing them like three years later, were like, like still had like, they had like anxiety issues that didn't exist before that happened that they're working through or uh, issues with um, trust or issues financially or medical stuff that didn't, you know, there were couples who worked at that studio who both got fired and lost their health insurance two days later. And then some stuff happened to them, you know? So it's, that's the more human side of it in terms of like out of the studio. But almost in all of our docs, we have one, we have stories about like the creative struggles people go through as well, which, you know, as somebody who also makes stuff is, you know, something cool to to you know see that we're all going through the same shit <laughs> yeah how do you get past those uh those walls whenever you have like you feel like you're at a creative like dead end how do you get past that what do you what do you, you have any uh thing that you do really usually the thing that has me at a dead end is that i'm i'm overburdened by a bunch of stuff that i don't want to do anymore that there's like that the reason I don't have the creative energy to come up with something new is because my brain or my subconscious is telling me don't come up with anything new you've already got too much going on um and and I think uh, you know in editing this is like a big problem right where 
the hardest part is getting rid of stuff you've worked on or, or, or trimming something down. Right. So as creative people, we have this like really positive feedback loop of making things. We make something, we see it, it makes us feel good. We make the next one, yada, yada, yada. But then if, if we don't stem that sometimes and you're making too much, you're working too much, or you're working on stuff that's not filling you back up again, or maybe it did, but it's been two months or two years. Now it doesn't anymore. That's what happens to me. I need to like, sometimes I need to sit down and just kind of have like a creative enema and get rid of a bunch of shit that I'm working on. Cause I'm like, no, that's actually causing me more uh, trouble than it's giving me benefits, but it's nonstop. It's, it doesn't stop me from doing it again. Right. <laughs> yeah. Know? Like, exactly. what about yourself? Do you feel the, uh, what's, what's your way of, uh, uh oh, keeping man. it fresh? I, uh, what happens is I usually tank my sleep schedule. Uh, so my sleep schedule has flipped multiple times. Uh, this happens like during, I, I don't know if, I don't know if John knows this sometimes, but sometimes I'll like, if I'm editing a video, sometimes I'll stay up until like 4am. That's fun though, isn't it? And be like, yeah, it's fun because 4, 4am, like late at night, it's like the least amount of distractions. Like then you yeah. get on a roll, but then sometimes I just stare at my computer at 3pm being like, dude, I don't really there's not much I can write here right now or I don't know what's happening. Like, there's so many other things. And I always have this, my goal, my goal in this like media industry is to be, I think it's a weird goal that I, I usually Go for say, is my goal sure. is to be- Don't have to preface it, just tell us, my but I appreciate be, it. Yeah, my goal is to be industry proof. You know, oh. like me. Yeah. So what I'm saying is that, you know, media industry is very, very fragile, very yeah. fluctuating and change or whatnot. And my I want to be my goal is I want to be at a place where I if if something happens to me, God forbid, at one place, I know 100 percent, I 100 percent know that I'll be able to, like, bounce back and get up on my like be on my feet and like n- not miss a beat. That's what I kind of like aim to do isn't it sad that like that's that's like a way but that's like that is a pragmatic mentality to have in this in the space you're working in yeah because that's what happens like people like the first time i realized people who are good at their job get fired sometimes freak me the fuck out oh yeah absolutely and i i'm just like wait 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 oh i thought that only people that you had like you had like you went through like work training to like per, like get better at your job or like no it's just like layoffs i didn't know how i didn't know how common practice layoffs were yeah. especially in media because i had two parents i have two parents that my mom works she works in academia and she has tenure like, <laughs> job like, for life yeah. she has that job yeah and then my dad is he's done like multiple jobs and stuff but at no point was i like oh (laughs) i never really thought about that because my mom was she has tenure my dad like is yeah they have the same jobs when you were a kid as he did when you were like a teenager probably right right nothing changed my mom has worked at the same place for 30 years she's no wait uh maybe 20 no, she's been married for 30 years. Maybe she If you have to even think about it, then it's yeah. close to 30, which is yeah. like that's that's some old world shit. Yeah. So <laughs> so it goes from that to now me being in a media industry where right. stuff gets bought all the time or there are new investments and in new places. I just don't want to I just want to be like as prepared as possible. Which is something they really don't teach you in uh, certain journalism schools. They don't really teach you for what the fluctuations and whatever happens in this media industry. So I just want to be as prepared as possible for like wherever the industry goes. I still want to like not be like lost. That's my ultimate. That's good. So you got your you got your you got your sports speech. You got your video game speech. You got your video production, like like long form. You have your live stream. You have your uh podcasts you can do audio it's a lot of work though dude that's it's only 24 hours in the day i um (laughs) so sometimes things just take a backseat and i'm i'm learning that sometimes they just need to like for example like my music newsletter that i do every week i haven't done in two or three weeks because you know i just recently got a promotion at a secret base where now i'm in charge of the social media stuff as addition to doing fun mentions. So something's going to have to right. take a back sheet. So What's that like? Cause that's like a 24 hour gig too. 
like social stuff you need to be a little bit more are you on the posting side or are you on the like the strategy i'm on the posting side but the good thing about that is that you can schedule a lot of tweets but oh right but now the difference is that i used to work in social media at sb nation for about two years um the good thing that is that i can schedule tweets for like optimal times in the day and secret base it doesn't have to keep up with sporting news like if someone gets traded or something i don't have to oh, oh this guy got of course traded. it's more like i can just share this article that we made because we make one or two articles a day because we mostly focus on videos so now it can be like oh they made this article oh i can tweet this okay i can get back to doing my fumble dimension work that's good not so much of a news beat yeah. and it's on it's on my terms in terms of like the social media stuff i in the past, it was always like we have thirteen projects we need to tweet out or whatever, and I, it just got really overwhelming and everything. But that's just the social media landscape in general. Like, but I hear what you're saying. Industry proof. I like it. I remember thinking, you know, having I needed my entrance strategy into like games journalism, and that was like moving to London because I got an interview at Gamespot UK, but I was still living in Ireland. They like flew yeah. me over and everything. I was like, this is amazing. And, then they ended up giving the job to someone else um, who then got like fired three weeks later. So it wasn't like, I didn't feel great about that. So like I wasn't even as good as the guy I got fired less than a month in. <laughs> didn't even get his second paycheck. Didn't get his first one, actually, I guess. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'll move to, they probably think I'm some like Irish country bumpkin. So I'll have to move to London, I guess, for the next time. And then, so but it took me years. It took me like four years or so to get in. But then once I got in, I was like, oh, I need an exit strategy. Because, yeah. like, yeah, like uh, loads of people who are good at their jobs would lose their jobs. Or we were in a satellite office, right? We we're in the London office. And, like, sometimes corporations just go snip and they, like, all their international stuff disappears. And I remember thinking, yeah, I need, like, a, a, a yeah, like a lifeboat or, or something off of this, which is why I started to, like, be on front of camera a bit as much as I kind of could without, like, without trying to, like, be selfish about it. Like, when I ran the, the the news the weekly news stream i tried to get in as many people as possible and sort of like you know highlight everyone on the team because i thought the same for them i remember oh, yeah. there were some people being like you need to get on camera more like like the, I, i've heard some things about this department that's going to happen here like let's let's get let's make it harder for that decision to happen you know but it was so strange that whole idea of like having to commodify yourself to just pay your rent right yeah and that's a like that's a thing that I have kind of valued more is that your your personal brand and your social media um, footprint do take you a long way in content creation in media or whatever. So whenever I now that I am in this like job position now, my main goal is to amplify everyone's voices even the people that aren't on camera you know right. I have a couple of people that do design or whatnot i want to amplify those voices as well so that's like the good thing about my goal is that like i want to like just bring everybody up because the more the better people's personal brands are everyone benefits even the corporations still like that yeah even even the company that like works like everyone people are more familiar with secret base and the people that work at secret base secret base this just goes even higher and higher. What was the hardest part about the transition into building no clip from the ground up? What was the hardest part? There were so many like parts that needed to get done that it's it's tricky to remember what the trick. The, I think the thing I was most worried about was when you come up with a new idea or something. It's the possibility space in people's heads is like infinite, right? Like if you say I'm going to make documentaries about video games what one person thinks that looks like and someone else could be totally different so the first like couple of projects needed to be kind of like they needed to be good but they also needed to be like statements of intent for like the the direction this is kind of going in and having to do that on a really short time frame because it was kind of like all right well we set this patreon thing up right it charges people monthly so <laughs> the first month's gonna be pretty dry but we really need to get something early on the second month or or we're gonna you know feel like we're uh, you know robbing people's pockets or whatever and then also trying to make sure that the games were cool because if we came out and we had two like rinky dink indie games which we do cover now because we have a library and we can do what we want in fact after the third project we did was literally a bunch of indie games but the first two were rocket league and doom 2016 so making sure that we had like two 
pretty, you know, tasty stories right at the start. That was probably the hardest thing. We were really lucky that people were, I think, happy to be the first on board and that they both went well, which was pretty good. But that was definitely the thing that stressed me out the most. Everything else you can tweak, you can uh, fix or tweak. You can, yeah. you can like, you know, if you need to, if you need to do better on motion graphics, you just spend more time on the motion graphics. If you need to do a better job of communicating on pay, over with your patrons, you just focus more on that. You know, there's like dials so you can tweak but i think the one thing that was for sure is if we screw up the first couple of docks like it's going to be hard to dig out of that hole so that was i think that was the trickiest one for sure hey and patreon's like relatively how has patreon changed since you guys have like joined i think I, th I think there's like like I think there's more trust in it now. I know there's some people who don't like Patreon for like a bunch of different reasons, but I think there's more trust in it. Like there are more people using Patreon, so it's not at the start. It used to, like now I like meet my you know daughter's classmates' parents and say they'll ask about you know or talk about our jobs and I'll say like do you know what Patreon is and they'll say yeah when I said at the start they're like what <laughs> like oh it's kind of like Kickstarter but monthly you know so like. Yeah. trying to get people to become patrons i think is easier and that there's more functionality on there as well but for the most part it's not all that different like okay. it, we have the same general workflow that we had when we started five years ago which i like it's it's a weird product because they it's kind of um it's kind of vague by design right. because lots of people use it in lots of different ways so they can't add too much functionality because then you know, it points it in a certain direction and it mightn't work for these people now. You know, the podcasters, there's this working, the video people here, and then there's writers and there's artists, and crafters, and, you know, or just celebrity. There's just so many different ways of using it. So in a way, I'm glad it hasn't picked a certain direction because I think sometimes that happens and it kind of ruins it for chunks of the audience. Um, yeah, the cuts, the cut's gotten worse, but we are grandfathered into the old cut. So oh. that hasn't gotten worse for us, but for any any new people, definitely. But it's still like miles better than YouTube or Twitch. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like ten percent instead of you know fifty, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> yeah. What's next for NoClip, and what is your ultimate goal? Oh, you, know, you have one ultimate goal, or like the project that you always want to do, but like haven't been able to like do it yet. I think like I'd love to have a bit more funding to have more people on to be able to have more of a collaboration especially i think after the past year like that's the thing a lot of people are missing out on is working with other people and vibing off other people and you know whether i like it or not like the older i get the more set in my ways i'm going to be so i think having you know, fresher ideas and different and also different perspectives quite frankly would be really helpful to the work that we do especially in games because like games used to be like i know like the monoculture is gone games you, you sort of alluded to it at the start like people can pick up a game six years later people can also play one game for like five years and it yeah. might be a game you've ever played I remember it used to be before, like the magazine, you pick up Game Informer, what's hot right now? You know, all these, I got to play these new games, right? Right. But that's not really the way it works anymore. So we're all sort of, there's so many games and there's so many stories to tell. So I'd love to have a bit more different perspectives and some more help, I think. But when it comes to projects, dude, there's so many. There's like Rockstar is like one of my, the, the three I used to say were Bethesda, Rockstar and Valve. And it was because none of them, were particularly open to the press for various yeah. different reasons. Uh, we got Bethesda, so I was happy we we did a bunch of work on them. Valve, I have tried so hard. We did a two-hour <laughs> documentary about Half-Life where we didn't talk to anyone of Valve just because we wanted to do it anyway. Yeah. Um, and then Rockstar is the other one because they're like nobody has... They are sort of a bit of a whipping boy in the press over a lot of stuff, rightfully in many cases and perhaps maybe overly so in other cases regardless like they house some of the most talented people in our industry you know i remember talking to one of the uh rock star folks in the the comms team about the you know the the craft that goes on there because i've never i know some of the, the folks involved in the the pr side but i i don't i never talked to any, any devs at least not in an official capacity but he was even telling me about like 
one of the the dudes who animates the horses it turns out that his wife is like an equestrian like trainer and the two of them like basically like it created this like systems for making sure that the muscles work the right way and all that and when you look at the horses you're like yeah it looks like somebody spent like three years of their life on it <laughs> and but we don't get to talk to those people we don't get to talk to like you play red dead redemption and you play grand theft auto like who figures out how to make those like s- sunsets like stuff yeah. st- stuff like that and and there's so much there and nobody has really talked to them about craft in my entire life and i've played i think almost every rockstar game going back to whatever was there you know lemmings or or gta one or whatever it was <laughs> like went back when they were dma design and like that's such a tragedy so i think i think to me it's i think rockstar just because they're they're an untapped well which yeah. is a shame considering they are one of the deepest wells in our industry. If you could pick though, that's what I like to, whenever I talk to somebody who watches the channel, I want to know theirs. So if you could pick one for us to do, what would it be? So I, I did a April Fool's uh, Mario Kart fumble dimension. And I saw, I, I saw um, the tweet. I want, I just want people to know that we have, we tried. There are a lot of games that we like tr- will try to do fumble dimension for. And sometimes we'll just be like, well, there might just be nothing here. And Mario Kart, we're not like, we're not, uh, we're not closing the door on it yet. Like we, I, we're actually like, it, it's on the list of like a Mario Kart fumble dimension would be so cool. We just have to figure out what, the actual video would be because is it, is it hard to automate it's or? so a, th- a thing that would there are certain there are two games where backyard the backyard sports series back in the day oh, oh yeah like backyard wrestling and backyard, backyard, backyard hockey or backyard baseball backyard football backyard okay. backyard soccer but those are hard to automate because you could only put one created player on a team now, if we mm. could create nine players, then we would have some. I would have something more concrete to be like, "Yo, I can definitely do this." But um, that just hasn't. We just haven't. The idea just hasn't come to us yet. I think it's it's definitely possible. It's just we just have to figure out the way. And a lot of people send us video ideas, and I don't really. I really take a lot of pride in like m- me and John like just coming up with the idea 100% ourselves right because yeah. we don't want to make this long video because one person outside of our network wanted it that's not totally what we wanted because we're not going to probably we're probably just not going to give it just if it, yeah if it's four in the morning and you're you're scrounging on that edit you it's you it needs yeah. to come from here yeah. it can't you can't be yeah, I, what I what I value about a lot of the fumble dimensions is that and I think this like sort of uh, leans into the general, uh, you know, there's a lot of your work uses uh, or, and lots, a lot of secret bases work sort of leans into the, you know, elevator jazz and sort of like esoteric nature of what I like about a lot of them is that you're not using games that are like easy fodder. Like you're not, you're yeah. using games that are actually quite boring and bland, but you're, <laughs> you're doing, but you're doing something interesting with, you know what I mean? You're not like yeah. playing yeah. Mortal Kombat or, Oh, sorry, I guess if they're sports games, what's the what's the video game equivalent? The sports equivalent? Oh, Blitz the League Two or something, right? Yeah, which is maybe my favorite football game ever, but it's it's pretty good. But you you know you're you're playing like football manager. You know what I mean? Like it's it's not <laughs> it's not it's not like a, it doesn't scream YouTube novelty, but you're right. making it happen. And I think yeah. that's like what's what's pretty cool. Maybe that's why Mario Kart doesn't work, is it feels like it's doing too much of the work for you and sometimes sometimes the game is could be like too well made that we can't like actually like be like oh no because then they'll go like, in this direction like actually we thought of that so here's our safe like, <laughs> right. you know. um so yeah um and my last question for you is what advice would you have for someone that wants to follow your path oh boy it's so hard because it's like the rules that existed for me don't apply anymore right like the media landscape is it's just this ever evolving like lily pad pond and the jumps don't work if i wrote them <laughs> down so i think like one of the things you know also the problem with giving advice once you've you know sort of achieved a personal goal you have is that you tend to like over you can overemphasize the importance of 
your path because there might have been a lot of luck involved or a lot of privilege and a lot of external elements perhaps you didn't recognize and all your talk you know it's already filtered in your head so i think though that being said the thing that i would like to think about myself (laughs) about the work that i do (laughs) if i can try and get my ego out of it is that as long as you're making stuff that's like if you make stuff that's good it makes everything easier and if you enjoy making that stuff then that becomes easier so i think for me the most important thing for anyone in any creative space and if they want to do video game documentaries that's amazing if they want to you know make pottery i think it also applies is like finding out what you love to make is like the hardest thing in the world like finding out what you truly will like kill yourself ash to work on for me i thought it was graphic design and web design it ended up not being that and i was sure it was that for years yeah it ended up being video editing which i know i didn't go to college for i didn't have any experience in. but finding that out first of all is super important and then just like getting good at it like practicing and 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 trying new things and and being reckless and honestly looking at your work and putting it in front of an audience and getting feedback however that vector is you know like whether it's twitch or youtube or tiktok or your local cinema like i don't know what it is what's the best way to do it but as long as you're going through that process then hopefully eventually you'll find some degree of success in it professional or otherwise and like some people like you know I think it's easy to feel like you're behind other people or something, especially these days when there's so many very young people who are successful in those media spaces. Right. But like, I hope I haven't hit my peak, right? I hope right. I have, I hope in my fifties, I'm making my best work. And that's also the case for somebody who's unfound. And maybe in, maybe your type of work doesn't have an audience yet, or maybe your type of work requires you to have a bit more experience than being you know a good streamer does i don't know or in a particular game so just like don't get too downhearted about it and like as long as you're enjoying the work you're making and as long as you're like yeah getting better at it then that's the most important thing for video game documentary stuff it's you know youtube is it's not perfect but it it's a it's a pretty good way of building an audience um i think one of the coolest things that's happened in video games coverage on youtube recently is these stars emerging from particular games so if you really like one game and you want to cover the shit out of that game yeah like dude there's like there are guys who i follow on youtube who just cover like age of empires or roller coaster tycoon or you know or whatever but i i follow them because they are that person so i think that's maybe one way that didn't exist a couple of years ago whereas those channels are now finding audiences probably through reddit and stuff um in a way that you know if you're a cannon fodder youtuber 12 years ago you mightn't have gotten much of an audience (laughs) but maybe today you would what advice do you give people when they ask you because you you work for like one of the coolest like brands in media and you work on some of the coolest videos on that brand so what what do you say i think i also say in i also say which is kind of like you said in in line which is try to don't look at what other people are making and try to copy them like you can be inspired by somebody but don't just try to be like yes this is my channel but like this is their channel but it's me instead when that happens and people are like oh this why wouldn't i why would i just go to the original person then the cheap imitation but the thing is that you don't have to make it a cheap imitation i tell people to add themselves to it and Mm. so there's a lot of so a a good example i'll I'll use john's example i uh, i'm on the john boys reddit sometimes And it's got us on Reddit. I love it. John Boys has his own Reddit. I I, I like it. I, re, I read it. And a, a cool a thing that I saw is that a lot of people are starting to make videos in his style. Okay. And there are a couple of now there are a couple of um sometimes the co- the comments are like why are you using his style man what I'm like I'm like look there's a difference between being an exact carbon copy. And then, like, using the same visual aspects. 
right. like Lewis and I movie, and then adding your own kind of flair into it, your own comedic timing, your own editing, your own, your own, even your own voiceover pattern and attitude. Like that can all be like, okay, well, I see this looks, this looks similar. It looks inspired by something. However, it is a completely different thing. And that's where I, that's where I say like, look, because there are so many things that you can do with content creation. There are so many creative uh, YouTubers out there that even if they cover the same thing, people will gravitate more towards one because it's more unique and it's more, right. it's more out there, you know? Like, for example, I guess I'll name Nakey Jakey. Well, he, hmm. of course, we have the video captures, but you know, he's on an exercise ball. He has his own <laughs> sense of humor and he's very funny. Of course, I'm gonna go back and watch whatever he has to say. And same with Scott the Waz. He'll like, of course, he'll have his own video. He'll have the video essay format, but then he'll have some funny skits in there and he'll like, he'll just let his creativity shine through. And I tell people, once you let your, your own creativity shine through whatever project it is, like then that's when you like become on your way to being your own content creator so that's really good advice because yeah i think you're right once you if you're basically setting yourself up as a as a b movie version of people almost cuz yeah cuz yeah it's it's too lofty a goal you know what i mean you can't supersede somebody in that way especially if the comparison already exists um so i think we were lucky with like there wasn't that many people making video game documentaries like there were some there were commercial successful ones like indie game to movie which certainly inspired us and two-player productions yeah. but like our sort of version of like oh we're going to give them all away for free uh, no ads on the videos and like you know we'll do as many as we can um there have been other people who've been tried to do it or have done similar versions of it and some people people ask us like like does that irritate you and it's like no we don't we don't own the idea of making video game documentaries (laughs) we're not that egotistical but like we have a style and when other people do that work but it's not our style but it's similar that further defines us in our way and then in their way like it's it's differentiators so yeah i'm totally with you yeah the idea of like everyone's dude i know like he shouldn't do it but like I remember, like, just as a video producer being like, I have no fucking idea how he makes these. Like, and yeah. like watching them over and being like, I don't know how he figured this out. I don't know how he pitched it because it's the stupidest on paper. You're like, I'm going to use Google Earth to make these sports videos. It just doesn't make any <laughs> sense. It doesn't make any sense. But what I, th- I think what people should take away from like things like that, or when they watch episodes of Fumble Dimension, is that like, What's cool about that isn't that he's doing that exact thing. What's cool about that and lots of these types of videos is that it's a reminder that format is a set of rules that we make up as a society and we decide are the way things should be done. And every once in a while, somebody comes along and does something so weird and you're like, oh, wait, no, we, we can, there are, there are rules and there are rules and you can, you can fuck around and you know eventually you'll you'll make new rules right so i think that's what's cool as well as yeah like sometimes it can feel like there's no creative space left but there's always creative space and usually it's weirder and even more fun yeah that's well said that's really well said it's the accent dude it's just you can get away with anything (laughs) but an irish accent just sounds like you're smart it's like Thank you so much, Danny, for uh, stopping by the podcast out of your uh, busy schedule. I appreciate it. This was really fun. Pleasure. Yeah, anytime, man. Absolute absolute blast. Yeah. I love all your work. And uh, yeah, thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Awesome. For those of you that are just listening to Sheila McCovey for the first time, feel free to give this a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We're also on Spotify, TuneIn, Stitcher. <laughs> wherever apple podcasts may be found this has been chillin kofi and i'll see you guys next time bye